Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, in what is probably the oldest book in our Bible, the book of Job, there's a conversation that's going on there. But really, really hard things have happened in Job's life, loss of uh, multiple possessions and even bigger loss of loved ones. Really hard things. And, and the, the conversation that's going on here is, is, is how is it that God allows these terrible things to happen to good people? You know, maybe God's causing this. Or how's this all working? And uh, Job has some so-called friends there talking to him. And they're saying to him that God does not allow or bring these kinds of hardships into someone's life if they're a good person unless they've done something wrong. So Job, you gotta be honest here. You, there's something in your life that has caused this to happen. Well, Job isn't having it. He is he's not happy with them and what they're saying to him, and he's saying, there is nothing I have done that is deserving of this. What has happened to me? There is nothing in my life that is hidden, no hidden sin, and, and and he's pushing back against him, but he's also protesting to God in his conversations that God, you know, so why is this happening to me? Both Job and his, uh, these people who were coming, they thought to help him, all still had sort of a wrong understanding, thinking that every, you know, hard thing that happens in my life happens because I've done something bad. Or every good thing I've earned. You know, I mean, that's, that's not even an accurate picture. But this, they were having this conversation. And then right in the middle of it, it's, it's kind of like Job pauses for some reason. And he, he says something that's, that doesn't really fl- flow with the argument that he's making. But he pauses and in chapter 13, verse 15, he says this. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even if God kills me, I'm going to trust him because he is trustworthy. And then he picks up and goes on with this other conversation. And so as, as I listen to this here, I think it, it tells me something about Job. That, yeah, he's going through this hard time, you know, and he's trying to figure out what's up. And he's, he's having to respond to people who are accusing of him of things that aren't true. Uh, but in the middle of this, he stops and talks says something really, really significant. Even if God kills me, I'm going to trust him. Now, what Job did not say was even if God kills somebody, he's still trustworthy. No, he said, even if God kills me, I will trust him. And I think what we're seeing here is that Job isn't just saying something about God. He's talking about a God that he knows. In the middle of all this arguments, it's, it's very personal. God ha- Job has walked with God in his life. And so he isn't making that like third person statement about God. No, he's saying something that he knows. 
because he knows God. So, today we want to talk about this idea of knowing God. We talked, started last week in the series about being authentic Christians, you know, being the real deal, uh, that is genuine, our Christianity. Go ahead and go to that next slide if you would, Eduardo. So this idea about being authentic, and we, um, what we're going to see today is that, and we're going to review this in a minute, what we talked about last week, that God has already made us authentic Christians on the inside, right? When we get saved, the Spirit of God takes all of those, puts us into Christ and, and makes all those things a reality in, inside of us, deep inside, our very nature. And then, uh, but we said the, the, the struggle for us comes then, first is believing that's true, accepting it, believing it, but then now we have to live like it's true. And this is how do we live that authentic life? How do we live it out? And so I think we're gonna see today that knowing God, not just knowing about God, but actually knowing God is crucial. Let me give you an example. I know about Bill Belichick. Some of you guys say, I know a lot about Bill Belichick, our Patriots coach. Uh, go ahead and go to that picture, Eduardo, if you would. See, Eduardo's not from here originally. He didn't connect Bill Belichick with this picture, so. But anyway, I know Bill Belichick. I know a lot about Bill, Bill Belichick. I know how to imitate Bill Belichick, right? <laughs> I know what to expect from him. I, I get all that, right? But I don't know him. I know about him. The difference, right? Then the, the picture up here, this, this is Matthew Slater, played for 18 years for the Patriots. He's a Christian man, probably going into ministry after he gets out, done playing, which may, he may be done now. But anyway, Matthew Slater doesn't just know about Bill Belichick, he knows him because he spent 18 years with him, right? And so this is what we're talking about in our relationship with God, that we need to move from knowing about God to actually knowing him in a relational sense. All right, so let's go back and do a quick review. What has God done to make us authentic? How has he done that? Well, there were three things we looked at. One was the image of God. Every human being, saved or not, has the image of God. But before we get saved, sin has done a number on that image of God and, and, and clouded it and muted it for us. But when we get saved, all of a sudden the image of God can come online, especially the area of conscience. Before we get saved, our conscience, who knows what it's set on, right? It depends what you learn growing up. But when you get saved, that conscience all of a sudden becomes sensitive to God. Okay? And then all of the truths that we have in Christ, that we are secure in Christ, this is what God has done, it's, it's what he's done deep down inside of us. We're secure, we're righteous, we're holy, we're blameless, we're loving, uh, on and on the list goes. Things that he has already done deep down inside of us. And then the idea of being redeemed, that we do have issues in our lives because of sin, from past sin, current sin, struggles. But the idea is that the sin doesn't own us anymore. Jesus has bought us. I belong to Jesus. He owns me. And now he's helping me to work through these sin issues, okay? But they don't have that absolute control over me like they did before we got saved. Now, so what we saw last week is that to be an authentic Christian is not about doing anything. There's nothing you can do other than receive Christ to become an authentic Christian. This is something that God does deep down inside us in our spirit, okay? That very core of our being where our, 
our basic nature is, okay? And so he has changed us in there. And that's going to come out. It's going to, to work in our lives. And we, that's where we want to learn is how do we cooperate with that, right? Okay. So <clears throat> we're saying today, though, as we're going to see, that, that we now need to move beyond knowing about those things, move beyond knowing about God and what he has done to actually knowing him ourselves in a much more personal way. Now, what I want you to see is that this is something, that this is, this is God's will for our lives. Jesus, when he was praying for us in the, the garden, uh, you know, before he went to the cross and all this, he's praying to his father. And in John 17, verse three, he says this. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Jesus praying here, first thing I want you to see is that eternal life, we think you get eternal life, we think the, the main thing about that is that it's what? Eternal. Okay, it's, it's forever, and it is. But Jesus is telling us something here, that eternal life is, it is eternal, but the reason it's eternal is because God is eternal. This is God's life. Okay, and so the idea we come to, his life comes into us. That's, that's, that's where this union occurs. He moves in and, and we have this uh, union with him, his life in us. That's why we are alive. That's why our dead spirit is now alive. And that's why when we die, we go on living with the Lord and will forever. So it is eternal, but it's more about the fact that it's God's life. It is God himself who has moved in. And so Jesus says, okay, here's eternal life. Yeah, you're going to get eternal life, but I want you to know what it is, is coming to know God, which meant to know him as well. Coming to know God. So this is the Lord's will and purpose for us. Let me show you something. That uh, a, a phrase, where he says, they may know you, know you. The word that is translated from is gnosko. And it, is, it means to know, okay? And it can mean to know in a broad range of things. But it's also to know, especially through personal experience. So what is Jesus telling his disciples that the expectation is? It's not that just now you're saved, you're going to live forever. No, it's that you have the life of God within you. And it's going to enable you to come to know God through personal experience. Now, being a good Baptist preacher... Um, I'm not always excited to tell you, oh, let's, have, let's think about having experiences because people have really messed up their theology and how they live because of some experience they had that didn't match the word of God. But I think before we're done, you'll see that's not what we're talking about here. But so the idea is we need to come to know him. Now, how is this kind of thing described in the Bible? Well, let's just take a quick survey here. Moses, uh, the Bible says this. Go ahead. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, like somebody that you know and who knows you. OK, David, King David, he raised up. This is talking about God raised up for them. David is king to whom to whom all he gave testimony and said, this is what God said. I have found David, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. I know David and see David had that kind of relationship with him as well. The Apostle Paul, in Philippians chapter three, he says, I also count all things 
loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. That, that could seem like knowing about him, but I think it's more than that, especially when he says that I may, what? Know him. Not that I would just know about him, but that I would know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. So I want to share in all of these things with the Lord. Daniel, way back in the Old Testament, <coughs> excuse me, he's, he's praying and asking God for answers about what's coming to God's people. And so the angel comes and speaks to him and says, Oh, Daniel, I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. By who? By who? By God. That's right. Now, we can say this is true of all of us, right? For God so loved the world, and he gave, right? He did, and this is all true. But Daniel is being described beyond that here, okay? Daniel, you are beloved by God, and so he sent you this answer. Oh, Daniel, man, greatly beloved, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Daniel's talking to God having a conversation, and, and God now has sent this angel to him because of it. Then let's look at Abraham. There are, Abraham has several things said about him, but all pointing to one idea. In Isaiah, it says, but you, this is God speaking, okay, through the prophet. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. Okay, my friend. That's that relationship we're talking about, right? Okay, and in 2 Chronicles, this is very close to the same time. This is Jehoshaphat praying to God saying, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? So there's this an awareness that Abraham has this very special relationship with God. And then in James chapter 2, uh, where James is talking about how faith makes a difference, it produces works, and faith that doesn't produce works isn't the right kind of faith. But he's talking about Abraham. He said, Abraham, his faith was working together with his works, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God, okay? So Abraham obviously seems to have um, this kind of relationship with God. So what I want to do today is let's take a little journey through the scripture and see what was it? How did Abraham get to this place where he has this? He doesn't just know about God. He knows God. So let's take our Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> And if you don't have your own Bible with you today, uh, the one under the chairs there, it starts on page 12, okay? And then we'll just be going here in Genesis so you'll be able to find your way <coughs> around that. So the first thing we're going to see is this, that Abraham responded to God's call. Abraham responded to God's call. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, and by the way, just so you know, God later changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Uh, but so I just generally refer to him as Abraham, okay? Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham, very important phrase here, so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. 
And Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Okay, this is a pretty big deal for Abraham. We don't know what Abraham knew about God. We don't know how much he knew him at this point, because Abraham lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldees in Chaldea, and the, the main god that was worshipped in that place was the moon god, okay, a false god, but the, the moon god. And uh, God calls, somehow or other shows up and talks to Abraham, Abram here, and says, you got to go, I want you to go someplace. I got something, I want to do something in your life and through you. So Ab- we don't even know, he said, how much Abram knows about God at this point. But whatever it was, God speaking to him was sufficient for him to say, okay, I'm going. I'm going to do that. He did what the Lord said. Okay, the next thing we're going to see here is that God made a promise to Abraham. And he, he then built altars to worship God and used them to remind himself of God and his promises. Let's take a look at that, in verse, starting in verse 6. Abram passed through the land of, in the, to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, Abram, and to your descendants I will give this land. So he makes a promise to Abram. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So Abram builds an altar to worship God there and to remind him of the promise that God made him here. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So we see him continuing to do that. Let's go on down to chapter 13. Verse number two. Abram was very rich in livestock in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been in the beginning. So he goes back to where he started between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So Abram is living out the God's call on his life. God calls, I want you to go here. I've got some things I'm going to do in your life. I've got some things I'm going to do through your life. And God, you know, shows up again and talks to him and he builds altars to remind himself of this. And so he's walking through life learning about this God and what he's like. Uh, Let's jump down to verse 14. This is after Lot and Abram separate. Verse 14, it says, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And what did he do? He built an altar there to the Lord. So God is continuing to reveal things to him. God's continuing to show up and talk with him. And Abram is, is thinking it's that what God is telling him is least important enough that I should build an altar and worship him. And then, you know, he comes back to those altars and is reminded of what God said to him there. So he's gaining this experience of, of kind of moving beyond just knowing about God to knowing God. And then we see that Abraham makes choices to live in a way that honored that relationship with God. Let's go to chapter 14. 
in this situation. Uh, Lot had been taken captive with a bunch of other people where he was living. Abraham took his, his servants and went after them and uh, rescued them. And when he comes back, he meets uh, Melchizedek, who's the king of Salem, which is most likely modern day Jerusalem. Um, and then the king of Sodom as well comes out. And so the king of Sodom makes him an offer. So let's see, verse 21. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. In other words, okay, so you went and rescued all these people, great. You just let the, the people come back to me, to my city here in, so in Sodom, and, but you can take all the, the loot that you got, okay? All the, the riches that you got when you, uh, you know, took these people back. Um, and Abram says this, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. In other words, he wanted any wealth that he had it was because who gave it to him? God. But when he says, I have raised my hand to God and done this, what's he saying? He's, he's interacting with God, isn't he? He's interacting with God. Is he, he walked, he's walking through life now. He's learned about God. Now he's actually interacting with God. And it's changing the way that he lives. And then he has a full-blown conversion experience with the Lord. Let's, let's read in chapter 15, starting in verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one, okay, let me, I, I forgot to set the, the, the stage here. God has made him these promises of all these descendants, but there's one problem. He and his wife, Sarah, have no children, and they aren't having any. It just hasn't happened, which means it's probably not going to happen. In the culture there, the firstborn servant in his house would become the heir of all his possessions when he passed on. And so um, Abram has said to God, God, I don't get it. You know, you've promised me these things, but right now the, my heir is this servant who was born in my house, so what's the deal? Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. But you and Sarah, it's going to come from. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he, the Lord, accounted it to him for righteousness. And that sets the stage for our whole doctrine of salvation, that how do we become righteous enough to make it to heaven. We believe God, we trust God, and he does it because of what Jesus did for us, okay? And so this is, this is repeated in the, the New Testament talking about that. Now, I'm, I'm not gonna read the rest of this for now, just, give you, uh, um, just to save a little bit of time. But what you see is that God then gives Abraham this vision of an agreement or a covenant. And what they would do in this day, sometimes they would take animals and they, they would sacrifice the animals when they would divide the animal in half. Put one half here and the other half here and make a little pathway. And then the two people who are making this agreement, this covenant, would walk together between those animals, signifying that, right? How close are we? We're in the middle, okay? We are right here together. God has uh, 
um, Abraham kind of be, it's, it's not asleep, but you know, it's a vision and he sees this, that these animals are uh, divided and then God walks between them by himself. Telling Abraham, this is not dependent on you or anybody else. This is what I alone am going to do. Okay? You get the picture? These promises that he's made him, he said, I want you to know, I am the one who's going to do it. It's not dependent on you or anybody else. I am the one. I am making this covenant with you. <clears throat> but so here Abraham is interacting with God and learning, not just about God, he is experiencing interacting with God himself, coming to know God. And this is huge. Uh, we see after this that Abraham makes a, he makes a really poor decision. If you remember the story, right, he takes a second wife trying to have a child. And, uh, but God said, no, no, it's not, I'm going to do it. But anyway, so he made a poor decision there. He made a really good decision, obeying God about circumcising himself and his, his family and his servants, everybody. So that was good. Uh, but what we're seeing is a shift in the nature of the relationship between God and Abraham. And then chapter 18, this is what I want to show you, that the, the, what something has happened. <clears throat> something really big has happened in their relationship. And I think it's just over time, their relationship together. So God has shown up and, and, and reassured Abraham about the promise of a coming son through Sarah. But he's also come down because he's going to he, he, he's sending his angels to evaluate Sodom. And if you remember right, Sodom eventually gets destroyed because of their wickedness, all of that. But Abraham has family in Sodom. His nephew Lot is there and Lot's family and the people they have married. He has family there. Okay. So verse eight, uh, 16, let's start there. Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing since Abraham surely, uh, shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him for I have known him. See, what God is even attesting to what? I know Abraham. We have a relationship. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after them that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, so now he speaks to Abraham. Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Again, indicative of their relationship. And Abraham came near and said, now just listen, this is, he's talking to God. Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you. It's kind of like, God, don't do that. Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. And then he says this, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? I mean, can you imagine standing before God and saying, God, I think, don't think this is the right thing to do. 
you understand where Abraham has come to in his relationship with God? And he isn't thinking God's going to do wrong, but it doesn't make sense to him. And he feels the freedom to do what? To say, God, this doesn't seem right. What are you doing? Okay. He wasn't taking God's place, but he, he has this kind of relationship. And we're not going to read the rest of it. He goes on and he keeps saying, what if there's only this many? What if there's only this many? And he got down to where he thought he had asked for enough to save Lot and his family, but he hadn't. Although the Lord did save them. All right. So this Abraham had a conversation with God that seems out like it, it's out of flowing. Go ahead and go to that next slide if you would there, Eduardo. Right? This is what we just read. He had a conversation with God that seems to flow out of knowing each other well enough to have this kind of conversation. All right, so God keeps his promise to Abraham and Sarah. They have the child Isaac. And when Isaac is a young, late uh, preteen, maybe early teens, God tells Abraham to go sacrifice him. To sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And Abram obeyed until God intervened. Let's read it a little bit here. Chapter 22. And Abimelech, let's start in verse number, yeah, verse number nine. No, 22, it helped if I was in 22. 22, verse nine. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abram built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, what I want you to see is that what the reason, well, first of all, let me say this. Don't, you never have to worry about God asking you to kill your children. In fact, what he's going to say is, no, don't kill them. Okay. Uh, that was supposed to be funny. I was joking there. Okay. But he, seriously, he, he's not going to ask them to kill your children. But that doesn't mean that he won't ask you to let go of them and let them go do what he wants them to do. Maybe somewhere else around the world, right? So <clears throat> there is some reality to this for us. Um, but I want you to see, let's go to Hebrews. It's connected to this story. How could Abraham do that? Here's God telling him to go sacrifice your son to me. Um, and this is the son that it was the, all the promises, right? All the promises are going to be through him. And God is saying, go do it. Uh, so in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, we see this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said in Isaac, your seed shall be called. So it's all the promises of Isaac and God is now saying, kill him. The horror of killing your own son, plus it, it just destroys everything that Abraham's thinking about life. Verse 19, concluding, this is Abraham, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. 
from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Really, it's a picture of Christ. He receives him in a figurative sense. But see what, what Abraham, what did Abraham know? Because he had walked with the Lord and he had learned not just about God, but that he had come to know God in a very personal way. What did Abraham conclude? I know God. I know that if he actually has me sacrifice Isaac, that he can and will raise him from the dead because of what he said and what he's done. And he's always been faithful to me in his word. And he will be faithful this time. And I would say to you that if he did not have that kind of relationship, there's a high likelihood he would have told God no. And that's the reality for all of us in our lives. If we don't, we have this authenticity that God has created within us, but if we don't come to know God in it, in our lives, we may find ourselves at some point just saying no to God because we don't know him. And so to live the authentic life, we must come, be, move beyond knowing about God to knowing God, okay? So here's the, the, the thought that you have to get. Living out the authentic Christianity that the Lord has already given us. Go ahead to that if you would, yeah. The, the authentic Christianity the Lord has already given us in Christ requires that we move from knowing about God to knowing God. How do we do that? So let's look at the a list here of things, the three things. We move from knowing about God, go ahead, yeah, to God by first this, consistently learn more and more about God, okay? We do need to learn about God. That is crucial. And when we get saved and, and we start to, you know, learn, that we learn about God. We learn more about him. We learn the truths about what God has done in our lives. So we learn those things. It is crucial that we do that. It is not sufficient, okay? Critical, crucial, not sufficient. Second thing, choose to act like you believe what you know. That's big. In other words, I'm coming to know that God is trustworthy. Do I trust him? Okay, so here's what we want to talk about, living by faith. This is where in James chapter two, God talks about Moses and his living by faith. And this faith is not just believing, but it's also trusting. Go ahead and put that up there if you would. So living by faith is this idea of belief. And because the way we use the word, we say, I believe something. And when we think, say we believe something, what do we mean? It's usually what? Intellectual. This is a truth. This is something that I believe. I say I believe this. Okay, but the, when God talks about faith that is real and is living in us, and for us to live by it, okay, yes, I know this is true. I'm going to trust it. I'm going to act on it. I'm going to do what God says. And this is what we see Abraham doing, don't we? God says, leave. And he says, well, I don't know you very well, but I'm going to go ahead and trust you. And each of these places, we see Abraham making choices and decisions to go with what God has said, not just to know what God said, but to then trust it, to believe and trust. Okay. And so then the third thing is this, when you do this, you will experience God's character. You'll experience his presence in your life. You will see how he works as you live by faith. And you will come to know him. To know him personally. And I have to say to you that in my life, that as I have learned about God and then made decisions, whether it was with my money, in my marriage, in work, in relationships, whatever, every time that I have gone ahead and trusted not just believe something, but trusted it, acted on it. 
I've come to know God. I know what to expect from him. Now, he surprises me all the time because I'm limited. But I've come to know him. And when I see things happening in your life and I'm talking, it's so hard, I get it, it's so hurtful. At the same time, I know God and I know that he's at work in your life. I know it because the Bible says so, but I know it even more because I have personally experienced it time and time again. And so can you. And that's how we move from being authentic deep down inside all these things that God has done for us as we then go through life with God, not just knowing about him, but coming to know him. Now that authenticity that God created on the inside is coming out and being lived out on the outside. And that's where we want to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can know you. Thank you that you've revealed us yourself to us in your word. And then thank you that uh, as we walk with you in life, that we get to know you and, and, and we see the truths of your word in even deeper and much more personal ways. And I pray, Lord, you work in our lives to, to help us to respond to you in the ways we need to, that this becomes a reality for us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Dan, come on up. And um, so, you know, we will take no more than 15 minutes. It may be 10 minutes, okay? Um, and answer some questions that you may have had. <clears throat> Excuse me. Good morning. Good morning. Is that on? It is on. on. There you go. Thank you. All right, do we have some questions today? We do. <coughs> Excuse me. The first one we have is, what form did the Lord reveal himself to Abraham? Oh, okay. A human or a spirit? All right, good. Uh, real quick, well... Do you know the answer to the question? A Christophany. Yeah, that's, that's the term, the term Christophany, yes. So anytime we find in the Bible God appearing as a human being, uh, that would be the second person of the Trinity, the Son, okay, who is later born as the man Jesus and who's now forever, uh, both God and man. But yes, so he appeared in human form. Uh, it's, it's possible that there were times when it was just a voice, but when it seems to be human, that is the Son of God, most likely. Okay? Awesome. This is a good question. Since Abraham is the only person in the Bible called a friend of God, is it achievable for other people to become a friend of God, or is that possibly a special title for Abraham? Right. Good question. So, um, This is always a danger for us, I think, you know. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, Dan, but people become, we see Bible characters as almost like superheroes, right? They weren't. They're people like us, okay? So when he's called a friend of God, you'll see earned it, but let's see if I can find it here. Um, Do you know where it is, Frank Harrison? You know where I'm going? No longer do I call you servants. Jesus talking to his disciples. For a servant does not know what his master's doing, but I have called you friends. So I think the Lord's intent is for all of his people to be there, okay? 
he included Abraham in the Bible in all of his stories. By the way, Abraham's story is not perfect. We didn't look at the imperfect things today, right? So I do believe that that is something that's available. Obviously, Abraham is called very specifically my friend, but Jesus says he's treating us as friends. So that's a good question, by the way. The next one, how does someone know if a directive is from, is from God, given that God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, a request that seems to go against God's character? Yes. Okay. Excuse me. Um, when we're talking about uh, knowing God and recognizing God's voice, right? Is this from God or is this not? Is it my own things? Well, a couple of things for you. One is that, um, and make sure I answer the question before we're done, okay? Is that um, when you come to know Jesus as Savior, God moves in, he's united with you in your spirit, that is settled forever. And what I want you to know is that Satan has no ability to speak directly into your mind anymore because you are possessed by God. You understand? Now, he speaks to you through the world. He's going to show you things. things. He, he knows how to trigger things that you already know and think about, right? I mean, all of that kind of stuff. He knows how to do that. But he doesn't have direct access. Okay. And so when we hear something and think something that this, is this the voice of God or is that God putting this idea into my head? We have something that Abraham really didn't have. We have the word of God, okay? God will never speak anything to you that is, would cause you to go against what he says in his word. He just won't, okay? It's not going to happen. And so therefore, if you have a thought, an idea, and you go, well, I don't know if that's from God or not. Okay, well, what does the Bible say? You can begin looking it up. You can go get counsel from a, a mature Christian. Say, hey, I'm thinking this. What does the Bible say? See, we have a way to make sure it isn't just our thoughts. Okay? Another thing to, to consider, though, is this. Is there, are there any, I mean, nowadays our phone goes off and it tells us who it is. Um, but when we didn't have that, any of you ever pick up the phone, you remember the old phone, and someone is, is says something to you and you automatically know who it is? How, who do, how do you know? What, you recognize their voice. How did you come to recognize their voice? You've heard it, what? Time after time after time after time after time. And so... Every time, this is why these things are important. They're really matter. So you go in the word of God and let's say you're getting in there every day and you're reading a few verses, you're reading a chapter, you're reading whatever, you're studying, you're thinking, you're pondering, you're meditating on these things. And then all of a sudden the thought comes into your head and you say, I recognize that voice. That's the Lord and, and it matches what he says in his word. That's what he's calling me to. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. Okay, um, so I, did I answer sufficiently or do we need to dig down on that a little bit? Well, I think the question was really around, uh, and we know Abraham didn't have everything that right. we have in terms of scripture, but asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac right. seemed to really be against God's character. Yeah, right. Okay, so all I would say is that there's a, um, when we look at scripture and understand it, scripture was revealed progressively. 
It was revealed into, and God reveals himself progressively into a world that was a sinful world. And remember how bad it got at one point that God said, I gotta destroy the whole world and start over here with, you know, I mean, with the people, with Noah's family. But anyway, so Revelation is progressive. And so we don't know to a full extent what Abraham's understanding of God was. It wasn't our understanding fully because we have a different place, right? We have the word of God, the spirit of God, the church, the people of God. Abraham didn't have that. But he is believing God and doing it. And it did not make sense to him that God would tell him to sacrifice Isaac. All around him in the culture around him, I'm sure that, you know, we know the Canaanites did sacrifice their children to their gods. So that wasn't such an unusual thought probably to Abraham. What was really unusual to Abraham was God said he was gonna keep all these promises through Isaac. And that's what we saw in Hebrews where he said, you know, I know this God. The character of God that he knew is that he would, if he needed to, he would raise Isaac from the dead to keep the promise. Um, and he kind of shows that in Genesis chapter 22 when he mentioned that uh, when he told his servants, he said, you stay here Good. and Isaac uh, yeah. and I will return to you. So even yes. before they went up, he knew that God was going to bring Isaac back down with him alive one way or another. Yeah, really, really good catch there. That's right. Did you hear that? You guys understand that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Good. Thank you. Your take on the early building of altars. How do we do it now? We pick up some rocks. <laughs> no, <clears throat> altars in your life, they could be lots of things. Uh, it could be a plaque that you put on your wall. It could be a, a bookmark you have in your Bible or a verse that you highlight. Uh, it could be anything that, that would help you to remember to worship God and to remind you of what God has said and done. And I would suggest to you that as you come to, you move beyond knowing about God to knowing God, and the longer you walk with the Lord and experience that, that the Lord will give you some things that will be very meaningful between you and him, okay? And those will serve as altars for you. About one more, Dan. All right. We see this growth transition in Abraham's personal relationship with God. He comes to know him personally. Do we see the same transition in other Bible characters? Oh, yeah, okay. Yes, yes, we do. <coughs> uh, I don't know if they're as absolutely as clear, but if we go back and think of Joseph, you remember Joseph? You know, the one whose brother sold him into slavery and he ends up in Egypt, and we see this up-down thing in his life. Um, but what we discover is that the Lord is with him, and as he interacts with the Lord, he begins to understand that God is going to take care of him. Even when he gets thrown back in jail, Again, through no fault of his own. And he comes to know God. He knows him so well that when uh, his brothers finally come and they're sort of reconciled and they're afraid of him because they sold him into slavery, that he has this heart for them. He says, no, let me tell you what God's doing. You guys made this for something bad, but I know God. He was at work for I me. Mean, so he comes to know him. Uh, we see this with Daniel. Daniel, in chapter one of Daniel, he's a young man. We don't know how old, uh, maybe mid-teens, and they want him to eat food that goes against the Jewish law. And he says, I don't want to do that. I, can we try this or that? And they let him try, and it works. But we don't even see Daniel saying there that the law of God won't let me do that. He's just a Jewish young man who we don't do that. And then we see uh, you know, the, the potential threat of being killed if they can't answer the king, a question. 
He knows about what happens with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we finally get to this place where we see this progression of life where they say, okay, you can't pray to anybody but, but the king. Or we're going to throw you in the den of lions. And he says, okay. And he says he went back and he prayed to God just like he did every day. How can you do that, Daniel? Even with his windows open, he did. Why? Because he, he's, he knows God now. He knows God and he's getting thrown in the lion's den and God delivers him. He, all these things. So every time you make those choices to say, okay, I, I'm going to believe God and trust and do, you will come to know God more personally. And that's huge in your life. Yeah. All right, that it? That's it. All right, thanks for your questions. If you have more, we'd be glad to talk with you afterwards. And um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these great questions, Lord. Our desire of our hearts, Lord, is to be authentic, not just on the inside where you have made us new, but Lord, on the outside as we walk through life with you, knowing you, coming to know you better, being able to uh, share you with other people. And uh, we pray you'll be honored and glorified in our response to these truths. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.